This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vassar, and principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue. Our entire program today is inspired by an upcoming concert. It's happening this Saturday, January 20th at 8 o'clock p.m. in the Stranahan Theater. It is Singing in the Rain, the uh, famous 1952 film with Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, Debbie Reynolds. That'll be on the screen. The Toledo Symphony will be backing them up live with the music. You can find more information at ToledoSymphony.com or call them up, 419-246-8000. So, uh, Singing in the Rain, does anybody want to talk a little bit about that concert first? Let people know what's going on. Sure. Zach. So, it's uh, you know, one of my favorite films, Singing in the Rain, wonderful music, uh, some great physical comedy, uh, it's it's just become such an iconic musical, and uh, we get the privilege of performing all of the music along to the film live, and and that's tricky because if you think about, um, there's the song "Make Him Laugh," which is one of my favorite yeah. three minutes of movie history right there. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, physical comedy that has to be timed perfectly to the music. You know, I think he jumps over couches and slams into walls and you know, right yeah. on cue. So, you know, we'll have our work cut out for us. But it's it's just great music. And, of course, Gene Kelly whistling down the street to sing in the rain. So how does this work? You have the, the their singing voices and then the orchestra is isolated, right? That's right. And That's you're right. filling in the orchestral part. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow, exactly. what a challenge. It's Well, all the more reason it has to line up because yeah. you can't go get Debbie Reynolds and Gene Kelly to come back from the dead and, you know, sing their lines. <laughs> and that's a... That's a sad thing because we were actually um, debating about whether whether to do this production when we found out um, that Debbie Reynolds passed away. Yeah. Um, this was in December of 2016, I believe. Right. Right. So it kind of made made this choice and movie all the more appropriate. Well, I mean, you know, after she passed, there were a lot of tributes online. And one of the number one tributes I think that I saw uh, shared on social media was – that uh, fantastic dance with her and Donald O'Connor and Gene Kelly where mm-hmm. they're singing Good Morning and, yeah. you know, people even recreating that uh, online in tribute to her. Yeah. She was only 18 years old, you know, when she made that That's film amazing. back in 1952. Yeah. It was her breakout role. I've got a few fun facts about Singing in the Rain. Uh, as you may know, it's a movie that portrays Hollywood of the 1920s, the transition mm-hmm. from uh, silent films into, into talkies. talkies. And uh, some... Some interesting stories here, most of them about how difficult it was to uh, pull off all those dancing moves and dance Mm -hmm. numbers. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I mean, Gene Kelly supposedly drove uh, Debbie Reynolds to tears because he was such a perfectionist. Um, She was discovered under a table crying by Fred Astaire, who took her out and gave her some dance lessons and helped (laughs) prop her up a little bit. But, uh, you know, not to not to depict Gene Kelly as uh, sort of, you know, the heavy in this story, because he really believed in her and wanted her for that part. But, uh, you know, evidently they spent 14 hours shooting that that dance uh, number. Good morning. And her feet were bleeding you know, at the end. Wow. And, and she had to, you know, go and take care of that. But also, like Donald O'Connor was a four-pack-a-day smoker. And after he finished, <laughs> after he finished Make Him Laugh filming yeah. that, he had to, like, he was bedridden for a few days wow. uh, trying to recover. Yeah. And then they lost all the footage, and he had to go back and do it again. Are you serious? Oh, wow. And so that's what we see in the film is that second time. Even Gene Kelly, 
you know, was sick with a fever because singing in the rain, they used, they didn't really use rain. They used some kind of weird mixture of, of liquids that shrunk his wool suit, evidently. <laughs> and, you know, these were back in the days when you didn't have quite all the workplace protections that sure. you may have nowadays. It's funny you mentioned that about his suit getting shrunk because you can clearly see that it's not a uh, it's not a water effect. It's not a um, you know a tinsel that they're stringing in front of the camera to make it look like it's raining. It's it's he is soaked. Yeah. He is mm-hmm. so soaked yeah. and splashing in those puddles uh, is you know perhaps one of the most enjoyable things to to do as a kid. But you don't see many adults doing what he mm-hmm. was doing, and that's probably why it's so iconic. I guess it was it was water mixed with milk. That's what I'm seeing in my notes here. Mm-hmm. Six hours of fake rain each day. He he spent seven days filming it on the MGM backlot, wow. and, and so he had a bad cold and he had developed a a fever and a know. lactose intolerance. <laughs> <laughs> after that, never wanted to see milk or water. Probably after uh, that experience. So, despite all that, I mean. You know, just kind of gives you an idea of the blood, sweat, and tears mm-hmm. and milk that went into uh, making the film. And, and it all is such a magical experience. It really uh, is. On the screen. It really is. So we're going to have a discussion today and some examples and a quiz even uh, all about film music and how music is used in films. And uh, one of the first things that um, I wanted – well, you know, incidentally – one thing I forgot to mention about Singing in the Rain is, you know, almost all of those songs uh, were pre-existing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were only a couple of songs, I think, mm-hmm. that were written specifically for Singing in the Rain. Make Them Laugh is one of them. But Singing in the Rain, that song was already a hit by like the 1930s. People had recorded it and wow. sung it uh, before it appeared in the movie. Now, can you tell me, first quiz question here, uh, what other movie about 20 years later famously used Singing in the Rain to a completely different effect than what uh, Gene Kelly was doing. You could say almost the opposite effect. Anything come to mind? Yes? No? So we're looking at the early 70s. Yeah. It also... Totally opposite effect with uh, no uh, justification uh, or knowledge whatsoever. I'm just going to go Clockwork Orange. That's right. (laughs) You got it. Nice. Clockwork Orange. (laughs) Wow. Totally, totally guessed that. Yeah. Malcolm McDowell. Yes, that was totally out of the book. I got to watch it again. Malcolm McDowell sings it while he's like, you know, victimizing somebody, beating him up and smacking him with his cane. (laughs) Yeah. Right? I remember thinking that Beethoven got such a bad rap in that movie, but then I said, well, you know, Singing in Rain also got kicked around. (laughs) Well, that was Malcolm uh, Malcolm O'Dowell's idea that that he would sing that, right? And he told Stanley Kubrick, and during their lunch break, Kubrick went and, uh, and pursued the permission to use it in the film, and they wow. secured it and filmed it, and there it was. That's yeah. amazing. So, yeah, but luckily the, the 1950s movie stands on its own. Yeah. Right? Happily. That's the memory that, that people have. It's a, one of the few movies that I've been able to stumble across. It is a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. So even those... Those nasty film snobs can't say it's a it's a movie that could ever be improved. Yeah, I think in in a sense, if you really trust any of these lists, it is the number one movie musical on on that sort of a list. There was an AFI list, yeah, about I think, uh, and I think movie musicals, is, yeah. and I think it was up toward the top on that as well. Yeah, so it's just fun, and so you know, that's what we get to do is you know entertain our audience with this great movie with great music yeah. and. Uh, 
and hopefully we all bring ponchos. Do you do, you do the whole movie all the way straight through, or is straight there an intermission? Oh, okay. I think there might be an intermission. We'll Forget to, what I said. Yeah, I think there will be an intermission, um, but... It's actually one of the yeah. great things because we get to see a young Debbie Reynolds at the yeah. Stranham. We actually had Debbie Reynolds um, appear, and it was one of the really kind of great, unforgettable moments for me when yeah. I was very kind of early in the Toledo Symphony. Um, now, she, you told me you have yeah, a Debbie Reynolds it's, story, it's, it's a, but you're it's not a so sure if we can use story. it on the radio. Well, that's okay. This Let's is, see. Okay. This is totally live radio. Well, if we have, you know, people listening, if they hear yeah. some beeping, that's why. Absolutely. <laughs> well, um, one of the things that's amazing about her as a live performer is she was totally 100% cognizant of her image with the public, which is this, you know, kind of wholesome American icon and also Princess Leia's mother. And yeah. her entire show was basically spent gleefully puncturing that image, um, often with ribald humor. Um, and we <laughs> we never really expected that. It was a very nice, ribald calm dress humor. rehearsal. Um, and at the time, Carl Topolo was conducting, mm -hmm. and we had a, the orchestra did an orchestra alone first half, and I happened to do a solo on that half. And it's um, Vieton's Souvenir d'Amérique, but really what it is is variations on Yankee Doodle. That's right. that's what the piece is. Yeah. Um, so I played that and went off stage, and Debbie Reynolds was there. And she said, are you the young man who just played the violin? And me, still holding said violin, um, was like, yeah, yeah, that was me. And she said, that was amazing playing. You You almost made me arrive, if you know what I mean. And then... For a split second, I didn't know what she meant. And then all of a sudden, I did know what she meant. And then I think I blacked out. <laughs> it was just one of the most... I, I don't really get speechless very often. Yeah. And yeah. I had I had no idea what to say. I think I ran all the way backstage around the crossover. So. Poor little Merwin. Yeah, it was a, it was a very... Uh, she, she totally... Yeah totally had my well, number there. I mean, you know, maybe she meant something else. Who knows? She, I, I I might not have known what she meant. Yeah. <laughs> it could be a completely different meaning. And just all these years, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You and your dirty mind, Merwin. <laughs> I saw the show. I don't think, I don't think, I think it was very much in consistent character yeah. with the rest of the show. Yeah. Okay. I would suggest, gentlemen, that we talk about anything else at this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we can leave that story in. That's a good story. Um, so I asked you to uh, bring, well, not bring examples, but but bring your favorite uh, film score music and how mm -hmm. it worked in the movie and why you, uh, why you think it uh, belongs at the top of your list. And uh, you want to go ahead, Zach, and talk about some of your favorites? Sure, sure. So when I think about music in movies, you know, it's it, it's it's not that this score has um, you know a really prominent point, but for me, it's it, how well the score aligns with the entire movie. So it almost becomes a, a silent character for the for the movie. So I have I have um, I have four films that I've singled out. Uh, that that achieve this for me, and in no particular order, they're uh, Field of Dreams, The Mission, uh, The Piano, and Third Man. So, mm. uh, Field of Dreams, uh, one of my favorite movies, just because there's so much magic and baseball in it. But uh, yeah. James Horner did the soundtrack for that, and it, I think he just does a fantastic job of capturing that sort of cornfield magic. And <laughs> I I just love it. And and there's something about it. I, I've listened to it 
for years and I, I still love it. It's still a Desert Island CD for me. It's not quite classical music and there's a lot of synthesizers in the 1980s mm-hmm. synthesizers, but I think it holds up nonetheless. Um, the Mission um, is a soundtrack. Um, I'm blanking who wrote it. Ennio Morricone. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a it's a it's probably a more famous soundtrack than the movie is. Uh, movies uh, stars Robert De Niro as a Jesuit missionary um, but uh, the music is just outstanding. And when I was a yeah. student at St. John's, it was kind of our our soundtrack for St. John's. There was a, a teacher named Greg Richards who would play it um, during exams and test time. So that was just a way to help us all chill out with really pretty music. And uh, and and uh, when I finally did watch the movie, I thought it was kind of disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's it's awesome. It's choral. It's it's orchestral. Usually they say the book, you know, yeah. it's not as good as the book. Yeah. It's not as <laughs> the, good as the Soundtrack music. isn't as good as the, or the movie isn't as good as the soundtrack. Um, and you could probably say the same for the piano. Uh, Michael yeah. Nyman uh, wrote a great soundtrack. Uh, so he's here we have a, another credible classical composer um, writing a, a 1990s soundtrack. Um he liked the music so much that he went on to write a piano concerto, uh, which is a wonderful piece of music mm-hmm. uh, based on themes from the movie. So uh, I really love that piece. Um, and, you know, I think I love it more than the movie, but it, it just goes outside of the realm of the of the confines of a typical cinema. So, um, and then Third Man is perhaps less... Uh, it doesn't stand on its own as much. Uh, it's this is uh, great music for the Orson Welles film, one of my favorite movies, uh, British film, and uh, it, it features the zither rather famously. Yeah. Um, I actually have a little bit of it here, which I can can bring up. This is the Harry Lime theme. I bet just kind of goes as its own sort of you know leitmotif during the the film. Ah, yes. There we go. You just know this is going to be a kooky film. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a great story about this, that Orson Welles and Joseph Cotton, and they were... uh, There we go. Yeah, we know that. Yeah. They were having dinner, and they went down to the wine cellar, and this guy, the zither player, was performing. Anton Karras was performing for uh, tips. And they were like, I love this music. This is perfect for a movie. And they hired him. That's to write the music, yeah. Wow. It's strange because if you took that film and you put a, a standard 1940s soundtrack onto it, I don't know that it would stand up as well. There's a mm-hmm. scene with a Ferris wheel where the song comes back in and I just, uh, it wouldn't fit a uh, Franz Waxman um, sensibility at all. <laughs> okay. Well, let me ask you, well, maybe I'll wait. I'll, I'll wait until after we hear from Merwin. Sure. Let's, let's hear your, uh, Merwin, your You might want to change, change that this, because I'm totally departing from <laughs> what's act. So Star Wars is number one for me. Um, okay. <laughs> I think in terms of how important the music is as a character, there is a wonderful YouTube that goes around, which is the final thro- throne room scene without the music. Yeah, and right. it's just laughably bad. It's creepy. <laughs> and without the music, I mean, without without that score, I mean, there's just no way that yeah. that movie is the incredibly epoch-defining movie that it is. Um, I don't my, think people realize how important the music oh, can be. It is be so important in and, that movie. And how it can um, make or break a film. I, I mean, I remember at the Kennedy Center Honors mm-hmm. when uh, uh, when John Williams got his, his uh, 
you know, his honor, Steven Spielberg was one of the speakers and he said, you know, John Williams, uh, not Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, George Lucas, yeah, I think said, uh, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me in my career was John Williams, mm-hmm. you know, without a doubt. Spielberg might say the same. It might, yeah. it might've been Spielberg. Who said <laughs> wow. But, uh, either one. I'm sure they both would express the same. I remember when Star but, Wars was re released in the nineties yeah. when they cleaned up everything digitally and, um, they had the the soundtrack reprocessed and did Sharon sound. So I'm sitting there at you know, a massive theater and yeah. the music starts and everybody cheered. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. you knew sure. it was coming. Yeah. But man, it sounded great. Yeah. Yeah. Not to interrupt, Merwin. But I think the other movie in a totally different vein would probably be South Park. The movie, um, bigger, longer, and uncut. Uh, that's just, is that's a Canadian thing. Uh, it's the second time this has shown up on this podcast. Absolutely, but I think it's a wonderful. It's it's when you really realize that wow, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, these are really, really good writers, and yeah. you you hear Book of Mormon coming in this, right. um, and I absolutely there's a you know. There's whatever patriotic Canadian element in there. You know, it's wonderful <laughs> to have. Um, the late Robin Williams performed Blame Canada on the Academy Awards and somehow navigate that without having to be beeped. Oh, they think he beeps himself a couple of times. Yeah, that was Um, probably the most beepless song from the From that particular... Or or from Robin Williams for that. (laughs) Yeah. But it is, um, in terms of my... the, The actual movie soundtrack that I will actually put into a CD player and listen to, that's the one. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're talking about a musical, uh, there is no film without the music. Yeah. The music it should be front and center mm-hmm. for musicals. But um, I think it's one of the very few times where you get surpri- you're get you surprised that it's a musical. Like when you walk into the movie, you never really expect the level of quality of the music. It, and that's it was really, really, true. really great music. Well, talking about music being front and center and sort of being one of the characters in the film, my choice was, I, I don't know, a lot of people might argue with this, but I like the way that uh, Hans Zimmer, the composer, mm-hmm. used music in the film Interstellar. I don't know if you oh. saw that or not. But the the organ is sort of the main... Um, the foundation uh, almost. The foundation of the, the orchestra. There's a lot of electronic or uh, ele- electronic music that goes on as well. But... The music at times in the film, the way it's balanced against the dialogue and the background noise and the sound effects, the music almost drowns it out in mm-hmm. some places. Mm-hmm. So it has this – there's something ironic about this kind of drone, organ, overwhelming music happening in the vacuum of space that I found very attractive. And he also has – it's very simple in the way that he just repeats a lot of phrases – Uh, throughout the whole piece and I've got just a little excerpt here so that's some that's a theme that gets repeated Mm -hmm. throughout the piece you hear that over and over again and I latched onto it somehow, and, and it really mm. reminds me a lot of, of this piece. See if you recognize this. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, Sibelius. That's amazing, yeah. Sibelius Fifth Symphony. Mm-hmm. That's a great movie. Yeah. I guess if you can't have Sibelius in your film, 
<laughs> you can sort of do the poor man's Sibelius <laughs> with uh, Hans Zimmer. But yeah, now we all want to go back and listen to that. I think he's a rich symphony. man at this point. Yeah. Sibelius or Hans Zimmer? Hans Zimmer. Zimmer. Yeah. <laughs> Although he's he's like giving lessons online. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that? Uh, I have. Right, the Masterclass series. Yeah. Well, Not that we want to put in a plug for Masterclass, but yeah. If Felicia was here, um, I think I want one one thing that both she and I really one one moment in kind of movie soundtrack history that both she and I like a lot is um that um moment from up the um with Michael Giacchino's soundtrack yeah. and that's famously wordless and entirely there's like a three and a half minute condensation of a married couple's life and all you have is the music and yeah. that's just an amazing musical moment. Well yeah and and this brings up the little Facebook poll that I did mm-hmm. o- online. I put a, a shout out for people to, to tell me what your favorite uh, film music is and why I had a lot of responses um, coming back to me, including Felicia, because we knew she wasn't going to be here uh, today. She mentioned Up. She also mentioned Titanic, La La Land, and then K-19, The Widowmaker. Which <laughs> That's a submarine I, movie, right? Yeah. I yeah. have to read her comment, though. It's a music by Klaus Badel. Impressive how he could compose music that is so f- so full of doom and hope at the same time dives deeper than surface emotions also very russian and i like that and later she said something about get it get it dives deeper it's a submarine movie (laughs) just in case that was lost on us i love it we miss having felicia in studio she's here here in spirit um some of the other people that responded i mean there was a, a huge huge uh um, rainbow of, of music and composers mm-hmm. and people talking about some rather obscure films and then, you know, all the usual suspects. I mean, I have to say at the top of the pack was John Williams, sure. whether it was Star Wars or Shindler's other movies. List I saw a lot. Yeah. yeah. But also people like Bernard Herrmann, mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of votes for mm-hmm. his scores. Um, uh, Ennio Morricone, whom you mm-hmm. mentioned, Thomas Newman mm-hmm. and uh, Michael Nyman. Kind of fun that Michael Nyman himself actually participated. <laughs> participated. Somebody <laughs> said, uh, you know, somebody posted about how they loved the score to the piano and they listened to it all the time. And, you know, I tagged Michael Nyman in that post and he came back and, and responded, you know, he's like, oh, you're so kind. And then this person, you know, was quite impressed with uh, Michael Nyman. So yeah, Jerry Goldsmith, John mm-hmm. Barry, even Philip Glass was mentioned. A couple of old school uh, mentions of mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Prokofiev, mm-hmm. right? And yep. Alexander Nevsky, uh, which sometimes orchestras take those old films sure. and, and play the uh, scores against them as well. I had Ricky Ian Gordon, who is a wonderful uh, composer, uh, Mention Gerald Busby's score for Robert Altman's Three Women, which I've not heard before. I have to go back and listen to that. Uh, Christopher Rouse, who, among other things, was a composer residence for the New York Philharmonic. He liked Thomas Newman's American Beauty. Mm-hmm. Also, Altered States, which was by John Corleano, <laughs> if you remember. Oh, right. Yeah. That was a cool film score. And, well. uh, uh, he also did this the the music for the red violin, which was yeah. rather yeah. fantastic. Yeah, and and there were one or two people who mentioned red violin as well. We had Christopher O'Reilly weigh in. He's the host of From the Top that airs on this station. He voted for Bernard Herrmann. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, soprano Christine Gerke voted for John Williams, and she was mentioned recently in an article in the New Yorker talking about 
John Williams and the leitmotif system that he adapted for Star Wars, right? That's that's something that we have in the Wagner operas. Mm-hmm. You know, Siegfried's horn call, bum, bum, ba, da, ba, 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 that plays over and over again. And in Star Wars, it might be ba, 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 right? Or Princess Leia's theme. Here's the quiz. You you say a th- you say the name of a theme and I'll I'll sing it for you. <laughs> <laughs> this is how well I know Star Wars, right? But uh, evidently, uh, there's a whole compendium of uh, Star Wars themes online that you can find. So if you go looking for that Alex Ross article in the New Yorker, um, you can find a link to all of the different themes and fragments of themes. Mm-hmm. And he and other folks have been saying that uh, the score to The Last Jedi is John Williams' best yet because it takes all those old themes and kind of breaks them apart and and reassembles them and has Mm. little bits and pieces that reflect what's happened to the characters, right, in very subtle ways. I remember when I was living in Boston, uh, the choir I sang with got to do a concert with the Boston Pops and John Williams. It was all his music, which is pretty great. Yeah. Uh, but we did some of the music from uh, the the first of the new, uh, I should say, the, the first of the, the prequels. And it he created a language for it. We had to learn the language in order to sing the song. And then he came in and we had rehearsed before working with him and he criticized our pronunciation of his own made up language. And uh, you just think about that. You know, Wait, who is this? John Williams. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, when you're John Williams, you get to do that sort of thing. Yeah. I've told you my John Williams story. You tell me yours, when I'll tell you when mine. When I met him once and I told him, I said, Mr. Williams, um, I love your music. I, when I was in junior high, I used to make arrangements of your themes for my jazz band. And he looked at me in all seriousness and he said, you know, that's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> and, my, you know, I felt my heart sink into the ground and, and I didn't know what to say. And then he smiled and he said he was just kidding, that he was flattered. But uh, I don't know if he was just kidding or not. I think, I think he it saw, is illegal. He saw yeah. the tears welling up in my eyes and, you know, tried to be nice. My my John Williams story, my other John Williams story, I should say, is I was racing for a meeting in Boston, and I was trying to get around the uh, the public garden and the Boston Common uh, via a bunch of very small side streets, and I was driving far too fast, and I was coming up, I think, on Arlington Street, and um, I saw an older gentleman step off the curb, and I was driving irresponsibly. And I, I knew I could stop before the intersection, but I didn't know I had to stop four feet before the intersection to avoid hitting somebody. Ooh. And there was a younger man with the older man who, you know, takes the older man under the arms and pulls him back up onto the onto the sidewalk. And as I get to the intersection and, you know, my eyes are clenched, I look up and it's John Williams. <laughs> and I got to this meeting, which is hilariously at the Handel and Haydn Society, and I I said, guys, I'm sorry I'm late. I This is what just happened. Yeah. I, I almost killed John Williams. And one of the people in the room looked at me and he said, well, why'd you stop? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I, you see, I would have reframed that and said about, let me tell you about the time that I saved John Williams' life <laughs> <laughs> by not hitting him, right? It's good. That's all positioning. Yeah. You no, know, something interesting, though, what we did, we started talking about a musical movie uh, and, and interestingly, a movie that's not a musical that existed on Broadway before, uh, it's not like Music Man, where the movie is a, just a movie adaptation of what was on stage, right? Singing in the Rain was a was a movie musical. And then we started talking about our favorite music from movies, and I don't think any one of us has mentioned a musical. Yeah. 
right? We've all talked about score composers. Yeah. Well, I mean, Merwin well, except, likes you know, South Park. South Park. <laughs> One of the great movie musicals. <laughs> now, this is what Toledo Symphony has to do. Can you can you do like South Park instead of Singing of the Rain? Can, singing in the can Rain. Can you work some of your Canadian Jedi magic? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've pre- we've already sold tickets to Singing in the Rain. Yeah. It would be a bit of a bait and switch. This would be for future seasons, though. <laughs> we do have a 75th anniversary coming yes. up. Yeah. We could do something spectacular. Yeah, exactly. We'll see you at the movies. I'm singing in the rain. Again, that concert is this weekend. It's Saturday evening, 8 o'clock p.m. This is at the Stranahan Theater, Singing in the Rain on the screen with the music from the Toledo Symphony performed live. ToledoSymphony.com. Go to the website there. You can find out more or call up the box office at 419-246-8000. Toledo Symphony Lab is generously underwritten by a gift from the estate of Barbara Garwood and is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at WGTE.org or subscribing on Apple Podcasts. I'm Brad Cresswell, and this has been Toledo Symphony Lab on FM 91.